Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, December 11th, and this is the weekly market update. As always, the disclaimer, anything that you hear or see on this video or podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. The content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. You should not blindly listen to people on the internet, regardless of who they are. You should always check things out for yourself. Okay, this week I wanted to start with a lesson, if you will. This was an article that I found on Vice, and I'll put links to these articles in the show notes. And the title of the article is, I lost 400000 almost everything I had on a single Robinhood bet. And so we've seen, this is a, let me start it out this way. This is a manifestation of the bubblicious greed, um, Federal Reserve liquidity fueled bubble that we're in, where everybody thinks they can get rich by YOLOing into options or into one certain stock, a meme stock, for example. And, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what happens, right? This is not unique to this period of time. This has happened in every bull market, every bubble market throughout history. There are books uh, written about bubble era eras. I suggest you read them. They're in my uh, recommended reading list, which you can find in the show notes. Um, this is typical behavior. This is what we see. So I found it interesting. It's a cautionary tale for people that are listening. I know that the community of people that watch these videos is, in many cases, young guys that are trying to make money in the markets, that are interested in making markets money in the markets. And I applaud that. I think that's tremendous. I think that's a great idea. But it has to be approached correctly. If you approach it as this person did, where they considered it like gambling, they even say this in the article, then gamblers always lose. Um, everything this guy did was wrong. And I don't have time to get in all the particulars. I'll put a link to the article. But uh, let's just pull a couple quotes here. I had no other passions other than really earning money, just stacking it up. So I just worked and saved up quite a bit. That's all I did for three years. And I just needed to do something else to kind of take my mind off work. Because if I kept working like that, I'd go crazy. And investing seemed like a thrilling, fun journey. It was kind of like gambling. Well, if you're thinking that investing is kind of like gambling, that's, that's the wrong mindset. Investing is about taking capital putting it into businesses or real estate, whether the businesses are public as traded on the stock exchange or private businesses and participating in the growth of those businesses and hopefully the earnings and cash flow of those businesses. That's what investing is. It has nothing to do with gambling. Speculating, I guess, could be maybe analogous to a certain extent with gambling, but I don't even agree with that because when you're a speculator, we're taking controlled, thought out bets on uh, future events that we have kind of put odds to in our mind based on information. We are betting on unknowns, but we think that we have enough information where we can 
accurately or somewhat accurately predict the outcome of those unknowns. But if you're just putting red and black and hoping, leaving things up to, to luck, then that's gambling, but it has nothing to do with it. But this is something I talked about in one of my articles that I wrote on my website many years ago about why people stink at investing. And it's because they approach it with this type of mindset. It's easy, free money. And like I said, that's a manifestation of the bubblicious conditions and the media and the, you know, showing the people that have made all this money, not because of any particular qualities they have or expertise they have, but they happen to be in the right place at the right time and a, you know, liquidity, a wall of liquidity or wave of liquidity has lifted all boats. So then this is where he makes his big um, mistake. Then I just went all in on this one single stock option. He, he talks about before the, some of the th deals he did, they were all janky. You shouldn't do this type of stuff that they're doing, playing around with these options. Option buyers, 95% of them lose money. Okay, selling options is totally different. I agree with selling options. Uh, at least covered calls are very a very good strategy. I don't recommend selling uncovered options because depending on the strategies, you, your, your losses can be very, very uh, large. Um, but anyways, buying call options on meme stocks is not investing. So he bought the 200 strike price call option on Alibaba. So long story short, this thing immediately turned against him, which is typically not typical, but it does happen occasionally. And then he uh, ends up selling. I sold and shut down my Robinhood account in October, right before my birthday. I decided I don't want to have this hanging over my head. Editor's note, he walked away with under 20 grand. This guy lost over 95% of his money YOLOing into one position. I suggest you read the article, especially if you're beginning to start out. I suggest that you consider what your definition of investing, gambling, and speculating is. I suggest that you wade into this very, very uh, with caution if you're gonna get involved. And that if you don't have a lot of expertise or knowledge that you acquire that, and it takes years to acquire this knowledge. The thing I recommend is seeking out the best investors in the world, <clears throat> excuse me, and finding out what makes them successful. And you'll understand that buying things cheaply uh, when nobody wants them is a common theme you will find amongst many, many successful investors. Uh, but this is what it is, right? People talking about, you know, when you we put a chart up or a graph up, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago in the videos, in the videos, and it showed the expected returns over the next 10 years per year was like 17%. That's crazy. So you have investors now expecting these double digit, high double digit returns. They've, they, they've seen this bubble conditions, they've uh, codified this in their mind as being normal. And then that's where their expectations, they've anchored their expectation to that. They have no um, sense of history. They have no sense of you know, valuations and what that can mean uh, for stock prices. And so they're setting themselves up for a big disaster. So I thought this was pretty good. If you're new to investing, this is really something you should read and take into consideration. So uh, I don't want to talk too much about macro economics on the channel, but this is very interesting. So 
on Friday, <clears throat> I believe the CPI printed at a 6.8 or 6.9% annual rate, uh, the consumer price index. You can see here uh, it's going parabolic. Um, we're actually exceeding the 2008 levels now for many reasons that we've gotten into several times, uh, disruption of supply chains, lack of investment in commodities, money printing by the world's central banks, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that's interesting to note is the last time in which many of you that are listening to this weren't even alive, like back in uh, the early 80s or late 70s, when we had similar types of inflation rates, you can see the inflation rate well above 10%. But the last time we had an inflation rate this high, which was about 39 years ago, um, the Fed funds rate was 11.5%. Let me say that again. The last time that we had rates or inflation is where it's at now, and it was declining. You'll note that the inflation was declining during this time. Why? Because in the late 70s, we had tremendous inflation in this country was out of control spending. It was the, the consequences of the 1960s guns and butter uh, spending, uncontrolled spending of the Vietnam War and the war on poverty that manifested itself in these high inflation rates in the 70s, particularly the late 70s, and policy mistakes by the Federal Reserve. And so Paul Volcker was brought in and he did what was necessary. He raised rates tremendously high. I mean, I think rates got as high as like 20%. I've told these stories before about how my grandparents were getting T-bills, you know, interest rate of 15, 16% and rolling these things every three months. Uh, they couldn't believe it, you know, and they, you take, you, you go to the Minneapolis Fed, for example, and you would, you know, plunk your money down and you would get the discount rates. You would get your check right then. You would get your interest right then. And they were shocked at this. And then you just roll that into additional T-bills. And they, they didn't understand this concept. They, had, they were immigrants from Eastern Europe and this, this was unbelievable to them. Instead, they had their money in passbook savings accounts at the local bank that they had for you know, decades and they were getting ripped off, right? If the inflation rate was 15% and they're getting you know, five or 6% in a passbook savings account, they're losing 10% of purchasing power a year you know, through theft of inflation. They didn't have this concept. But this is important to note that we're on the ascendancy, not the descend like we were here. We're ascending on the inflation. And our, we, our Federal Reserve is so far behind the curve. This is why I'm not sure I'm that worried about a lot of our positions. Yes, there's going to be volatility, as we saw in the last month or so, uh, because as soon as there's talk about taper or interest rate increases uh, that threatens the possible liquidity that we could see uh, that this could affect markets. So um, we're gonna see that volatility, but we are so far behind. The, I'm gonna show another slide coming up about how negative interest rates are right now. And that is tremendous for real assets. But what I'm trying to get the point across here, in order to deal with this inflation, you have to raise rates far above the inflation rate. If you had 11.5% Fed funds rate right now, I mean, the economy would be in a deflationary depression. The U.S. government, the private sector, the consumer would not be able to function with real rates. Uh, you know, even 3% probably is sufficient to crater the economy. Okay, so the, the Fed and the government is in a real jackpot here. And, 
you know, the problem is, is that you can talk to all these famous investors or prognosticators. And the problem is, is this is very hard to make into actionable investment themes, right? Because the volatility comes in waves. So my suggestion is, is that rates are not going to get raised as high as people think they are because the, the economy will crater. So the historical narrative has always been to err towards inflation. Now, I don't know if it gets out of control at some point. I mean, the future is totally unknowable, but I would suggest to you that they have painted themselves into that corner that a lot of, a lot of smart people talked about and thought would happen. And so this is very illustrative from a historical point of view. Remember, we're on the ascendancy here and, rate, and rates are like, what, 0.5% the Fed funds rate? They're so far behind the curve right now to catch up. I mean, th remember this, I'm showing you this juxtaposition of when Fed funds were 11.5% when the inflation rate was, you know, 7% 40 years ago. Remember, inflation was going down, not up. <clears throat> so... Excuse my, I'm still recovering from the uh, effects of the cold. I had a uh, post-nasal drip and stuff. So clearing my throat and things, apologize for that. But uh, this is a crazy narrative. This is a crazy slide and people need to be aware of this. And I think this is going to lead as we get into various narratives of what's the Fed gonna do as the inflation prints are not coming down. It's not showing itself to be transitory the pressure to raise rates, the pressure to do something, but what can they really do? And so as people try to forecast or you hear Fed speeches, you're going to see that volatility. You're going to see that pullbacks, uh, you know, and it could manifest itself into a, a very large drawdown. You know, remember the taper tantrum in late 2018, we had like a 20% decrease uh, in the markets. So, yeah, I mean, this is... This is really shocking when you look at it. So uh, tweet from uh, Charlie Bilio. Uh, I like his following him on Twitter. I uh, suggest you follow him. They've got some good things. You know, Janet Yellen on inflation. So, you know, back in February, nothing to worry about. Spend more, right? Coming out of this, uh, this uh, COVID. So go out and spend money. In March, it's small but manageable inflation. In May, it's only temporary in June could reach 3%, but just transitory. In October, higher, but just for the next several months. October, trillions in more spending will lower prices. Remember, the administration was saying that as part of their uh, selling their Build Back Better bill or whatever they're calling it. And then now here in December, finally admitting that the inflation probably isn't transitory. And so you see how this works. <clears throat> these people do not know what they're doing. These, uh, they're... They're hoping for the best, but things are not going the way they want them to go. And so what we've seen, you know, we have a stealth bear market going on. You know, here's the uh, another another tweet by Charlie Bilio uh, talking about some of these meme stocks. Look at the percent below 52-week highs. Um, AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, GameStop, Beyond Meat, Express, Virgin Galactic, Clover Health, Tilray, Koss, New concept energy, some of these things down 60, 70, 90%, okay? And this isn't really being reflected in the overall market because, you know, the market's being carried by these four or five, six big, large companies, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, 
you know, all the money is tied up in those trillion dollar stocks, Tesla. If you look at Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund, that thing is roll, has rolled over and is going down. And, you know, what we're seeing is a stealth bull market or stealth bear market. And the meme stocks are getting nuked. I would note that uh, we saw something similar in 2000 at the peak there and in 2008. And I will tell you that value stocks and commodity stocks did well uh, in the following years. And I'm telling you that that's what I think is going to happen in this particular decade. You're going to see these companies cannot handle higher rates or um, inflation. And the water is going out, the liquidity is going to start drying up. And a lot of the phantom uh, prospects for these particular companies are going to go away. So uh, I'm sure there'll be people that will argue with me that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you what has happened in the past. People are going to be looking for cash flow. They're going to be looking for re real returns. And those are going to be found like particular in a lot of the oil stocks that are cash flowing like crazy at current oil prices. And because we think there's going to be higher oil prices, those cash flows are just going to become more and more attractive. These companies don't have any cash flow. In many cases, they, they lose tons of money. Who is buying these stocks? Okay, it's pure speculation, pure gambling, like the guy that we highlighted in the first slide. So, so talking again, you know, here's the real yield. What's the real yield? I've talked about this before, 10-year nominal yield minus CPI year over year. And we're back to an area that's worse, lower real yields. That means if you're buying bonds with the current inflation rate, you're losing purchasing power. And we haven't seen these type of real yields and this really hasn't, you know, this transition in the mindset of Wall Street has not happened yet. That's why gold's not doing well. That's why even though oil stocks, which typically perform well in an inflationary environment, um, even though they're cash flowing like crazy, they haven't, the stock prices don't necessarily reflect the, the cash flows or the prospects for those companies. But I suggest to you that at some point it will. Um, I take you back to this slide. The performance is going away here as the value stocks, as the real asset stocks that are, thrive during these type of environments, like back in the 70s and like currently, these are prime conditions for those stocks to thrive as they begin to assert themselves. You know, uh, just because the general public doesn't want to buy oil stocks, the oil companies are buying their own stock back. And at some point, they are going to outperform and they are going to draw attention from the generalist investor, the retail investor. And I believe that's where the money's going to go over the next several years. Well, at least this decade outperformance you're going to see in real assets. But this is tremendous. No one's talking about this. If you're, if you're holding bonds, those are certificates of confiscation. Your wealth is being confiscated because the inflation rate is your purchasing power is going down and you cannot get it back. If you're holding a bond that's a 10-year bond that's paying you 1.5%, and the inflation rate's 6.9%, you're losing 5.4% a year in purchasing power, and you cannot get it back. You cannot get it back. That's why wage earners are losing ground. Even if you got a 5 or 6% return or raise, <coughs> 
you are losing purchasing power. You're losing your standard of living's going down because inflation's higher. Plus, you're paying taxes on those wages. So people don't understand these concepts. That's part of the problem. And I think if you're patient, eventually it, the mindset, the narrative changes as long as these conditions continue to maintain themselves and continue to be in effect. Um, the mindset's going to change. I mean, who's owning these long-term bonds? I'm not owning them. You, you cannot own bonds. That's crazy. You're losing money. Uh, cash is losing money. And so you want to go where the, the inflation can affect uh, or, or enhance the returns for a particular company. And in the past, we know that energy and metals uh, and real assets perform, right? They help you not only keep pace with inflation, but they can help you build wealth during an inflationary environment. The problem is, is that you have the volatility and that's what makes it scary. You know, if you bought oil stocks, if you came into my newsletter uh, recently, you, <coughs> you saw a lot of the companies that are in the portfolio get whacked 20%. You're like, what is this guy talking about? But that's the price of entry that's the price that one has to pay in order to get these type of returns and to protect oneself is you have to be able to deal with the volatility. And as I stated in last week's video, you have to make volatility your friend. When the margin clerk liquidates people because there's a, there's a liquidity event and nothing has changed fundamentally and these type of conditions are still in effect, you have to step up and buy. That's how the wealth is created. So let's shift over to oil. Uh, Eric Nuttall, nice tweet this week. Uh, let's just quote what he says here. Something we've uh, been in agreement with for a while. It's time to start connecting the dots. Oil demand will grow for many years to come, yet supply growth is hugely challenged. Equals, we are hurtling towards an oil supply crisis in the next two to three years that will result in all-time highs of all-time high oil prices, in my opinion. Be positioned accordingly. And yes, I'm going to show you some additional slides. I keep backing this up. You know, OPEC Plus talks about adding production, 400,000 barrels a month, uh, 400 barrels per day per month that they've been doing since August. The problem is, is several of the countries inside of OPEC Plus, uh, specifically Angola, uh, Algeria, some other countries, they have not been able to meet their quotas, right? Uh, Nigeria is another one. So they're quotas are expanding, but their ability to increase production into those quotas is not happening. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because this is all about making hay when the sun shines. And the reason why that they're not able to, they're not doing that deliberately, like trying to save their resources. They don't have the ability to increase production because of the declines and the lack of investment, which we've talked about. Okay, so this is the base decline rate of 6% a year for oil supply across the entire world. And you can see what happens. Look at this, this gap opens up, right? Because of the uh, lack, of, lack of, um, of, of investment in new supply and new reserves. We've talked about this ad nauseum. This is the opportunity of the decade, in my view. So Pemex, which is the state-owned oil company in Mexico, <coughs> excuse me, plans to cut oil exports in 2022. Um, 
Mexico is one of the largest oil exporters to the United States, particularly the Gulf Coast refineries along Texas, Louisiana, where the where the refineries are tooled up or built specifically to handle the type of crude that comes out of Mexico and Venezuela and these places. But now Mexico, again, uh, seeing, being stuck in year after year declines, inability to expand uh, their, their production, lack of investment, political sclerosis that doesn't allow for the privatization of the oil industry. They tried it with the previous president, and I think it got reversed. It didn't have enough time to get traction. And so what ends up happening? We have another, you know, alleged or, you know, ostensible uh, oil exporter that's going to cut oil exports. Why? Well, Mexico's Pemex plans to reduce the amount of oil exports next year and use it domestically instead. Bloomberg has reported as the country seeks to reduce its dependence on expensive fuels by processing more oil locally. Mexico is the third largest exporter in the Americas after the United States and Canada, according to the EIA. The main destinations for its crude are its northern neighbors in North America and China, India, and South Korea, as well as European countries. A cut in exports would make some of these importers look for alternative suppliers. Well, that goes without saying. And so this is something we continue to see, right? We continue to report on this week after week, uh, not only with the uh, large publicly traded oil majors not investing enough and their reserve life index is going down, their ability to increase production going down, being strangled by ESG mandates and attacks against the companies from uh, activists. Now we have the country after country saying that, you know, they are having challenges with in increasing supply. Russia in the same boat and, you know, now Mexico and now Kuwait. <clears throat> and I'll put a link to the article that's being referenced in this tweet. As the news that Kuwait may struggle to keep its oil output in the coming years, keep its struggle to keep its oil output, I mean, stable, is what the article says in the coming years. We'd like to explain some facts on base declines. Kuwait is said to have 3.2 million barrels per day of capacity and produces 2.5 million barrels per day in October 2021. Kuwait is major, not minor for the markets. This is the thesis. This is why oil prices are going to make all-time highs. This is going to be life-changing if you get it. When the realization hits that there's not enough oil because so many years of underinvestment, it's country after country, we continue to talk about it. You cannot just flip a switch and bring on new production. Now you have a major producer like Kuwait struggling to keep its oil output up. And so you have a situation where oil demand is continuing to increase. You have a situation where the relentless 6% declines are there every year. You see what's going to happen. Do you have the patience? Do you have the ability to recognize this? It, do you have the ability to ride through the vol volatility that will be inherent? Okay, because if you do, and if you position accordingly, you are going to create wealth that will be life-changing, not only for you, but for your subsequent generations. This is what I'm talking about. <clears throat> the world runs on energy. We've talked about this. The, the demand for, pet, for hydrocarbons is not going down, regardless of what crazy politicians in the West say. There was a chart. I don't know if I have it up. I'll probably put it up next week. 
1 billion people, you know, using most of the energy in the world, you know, the average African uses as much energy as your refrigerator uses in a year. Okay. So the amount of energy that an, uh, an average African person uses is equal to what the person in the West refrigerator uses. And think about all the other things that you do. And you're telling me that energy use is going to go down because that is the bet that the Build Back Better Davos man is making. Okay. He's going to force this, try to force this through. It's not going to happen. Okay. There's too many people in the world that want a better life. There's too many people in the world that see what we have and want it. Okay. Energy growth is not, is going to grow for decades. Now, I don't know the particular mix, but oil and natural gas will be a large component of that. And I would suggest to you, coal will also. And if we have not done the investment and we talk about country after country after country, large integrated oil company after large integrated oil company that has not made the necessary investments for whatever reason, we are getting ready to slam into a tremendous brick wall where demand runs into a declining supply. Price goes up, price rations, price incentivizes that investment. That's it. That's, that's the thesis. And so um, this is another guy I follow on Twitter. Very good uh, follow. Uh, I don't know how to produce, produce, pronounce it. Shubham Garg. Drilling restraints say strong among public EP companies. So you see the chart here off of uh, Bloomberg. The white uh, line is the public exploration production rig count. And the blue line is the private uh, companies wildcatters, if you will, smaller oil companies that are private, not publicly traded. You see unbelievable restraint on drilling by public U.S. EMPs. How much more can private companies ramp up and what impact does the recent $15 to $20 drop in WTI have on their drill baby drill plans? Well, I would suggest to you that, you know, the private companies are going to be more apt to roll the dice and go out there and drill. Well, we've seen what the public EMPs have said, company after company in the US and in Canada. We are not going to expand production. We are going to pay down debt. We are going to increase dividends. We are going to increase share buybacks. And we have seen that company after company after company is doing that. Now, I would suggest to you that if oil gets to a certain price, I do not know what that price is. Call it $100 a barrel. Call it $150 a barrel. I do not know. I would suggest to you that there will be a drilling boom. There will be, uh, you know, but the problem is, as I've explained before, and why I'm so excited about this opportunity, is that the industry has so atrophied because of the, you know, low prices for so long and the lack of investment where are the people going to come from? Where are the rigs going to come from? I read an article the other day, uh, at least in the Permium, and I can't confirm this, but the drill pipe providers are already sold out for next year. Their production's already sold out. So <clears throat> in many cases, if you wanted to get going on a project, you'd have to wait to get the supplies to do it. And where do you get the people? How many people want to come back to the oil patch and risk another downturn, right? So you have a lot of green hands, you have a lot of mistakes, you have a lot, I mean, all this plays into it and why I think that this run's going to be longer and higher than previous runs in the oil price. 
again, you have to get your head wrapped around the volatility that will come with that. So here's a tweet from our friend Contrarian8888. Uh, he's talking about Oxy, Occidental Petroleum. It's a very large Permium operator. It's, a, I would say, one of the smaller uh, integrated oil companies. I don't know if it has too many refineries anymore, but it's a very large oil company worldwide operator. Oxy free cash flow yield in 2022 at 27%, 27% free cash flow yield and 16% for energy as a whole at current low oil prices. Contrast that for 2% for big caps tech like Apple or a thousand times PE for 2024 snow earnings, LOL. Guys, this is where the wealth is being going to be created. Um, unless we have some kind of deflationary depression that drives oil prices down to, you know, 20, 30, $40 a barrel again, these companies are going to be ATMs. They're cash flowing like crazy. What's Oxy doing? Oxy's paying down debt. They're returning cash to shareholders. These companies are all doing the same thing. If you listen to the, I, you know, I challenge you to go listen to a lot of the conference calls for many of these North American oil producers, EMP companies. They're all doing the same thing. Okay, <clears throat> they're stabilizing their production, they're doing their maintenance cap, capitalization, spend, and they are all paying back debt, buying shares back and paying higher dividends. This is this is and as this becomes recognized, and once the realization sets in that the underinvestment is leading to a supply crunch down the line, I think you're gonna have a re-rating in all these stocks. And I don't know if that comes in 2022, maybe. Maybe it's the price has to hit people upside the head. Maybe $100 a barrel and then people looking at it and going, what's really going on? But I think that that mindset transition, that phase change, if you will, from tech, from tech companies with no earnings, phantom earnings, BS earnings, to real cash flows that you can put your hands on and spend, uh, that's coming. And when it does, I think we see a tremendous re-rating in a lot of these companies. So I put this on here. I told the slide, how to use Twitter. I'll put a link to this. This is John Quakes. You know, you see these little Mickey Mouse uh, arguments on Twitter between people with egos, and I don't get into it. <clears throat> I don't really care. I use things for my purposes. I don't know any of these people personally, but here's what I do. This guy came up with a uh, box thing. I'll put a link to it, a PDF. It's like five, six pages. Just of Q4, all the incredibly bullish nuclear and uranium sector news from the past nine weeks. If you read this type of stuff and it sinks into your head what's going on with potential uranium demand, the recent pullback. Look, these stocks get ahead of themselves. They get hyped up. The sediment, it's a flashy object. All the money comes in. Retail runs over there. You get above, you know, it gets overvalued in the short term. It pulls back. That's what we're seeing. We're still in an uptrend in uranium stocks, guys. You know, um, if you understand where the fundamentals are, just the Chinese build out over the next 10 years is going to transform this uranium market. Did the stocks get ahead of themselves based on where the uranium price was? Probably. Did they pull back now? Yes. What should you do during pullbacks in a bull market? You buy. You re, you re up. That's all I know how to tell you. And uh, uh, like I said, I'm not going to get involved in the John Quakes and the Kevin Bambro, that stuff. I don't care. I use Twitter for my purposes. 
And this guy has done pretty good work. And I suggest, you know, I'll put a link that you can take a look at this uh, sector news. It's just, you read through it and your just eyes are just like, who doesn't get this yet? If you don't get what's going on, you know, there's nothing more can be done. It's right there in black and white, item after item, bullish thing, more bullish news in the last couple months than, you know, that I remember seeing over the last three or four years. Tremendous bullish events taking place, okay? You buy on dips in bull markets, guys. So this is uh, ammonia prices, fertilizer uh, input into for you know, row crops. Ammonia is now more than 30% above its previous all-time high. I mean, this thing is showing no, no pullback at all. Now 30% above all-time high for ammonia prices. This is crazy. This is nuts. Again, uh, you know, I couldn't find a really lucrative way or a very way that I felt comfortable with recommending. So, you know, buy yourself a basket of, <coughs> of um, fertilizer stocks, create your own ETF, and I think you'll do well. But this is crazy. If you don't think this is going to affect food prices in the next year or two, um, you're not paying attention. And so... You know, we're going to make things worse, right? We're going to put sanctions on Belarusia, potash uh, as uh, sanctions loom. Um, potash market supply squeeze will tighten as U.S. sanctions clamp down on Belarus exporter. Belarus finance options for trade are limited. Global potash prices are strong amid a demand-fueled rally. Nutrien uh, will add additional supply in 2022, but at levels far below the supply gap. So, we just see it in industry after industry, input after input, commodity after commodity, right? Lack of supply, curtailed supply. This is artificially controlled by sanctions. This is going to come back and bite um, the Western countries in the butt. You know, it's the same thing you see right now in Europe with natural gas. They have no choice in Europe. They have to buy their gas from Russia, whether they like it or not. Does that give Russia more political control than they would normally have? Absolutely. And influence? Yes. But, you know, you have to, you made decisions in Europe 10, 15 years ago to not have a diversified fuel mix. And in Germany's case, <coughs> excuse me, actually shut down your nuclear reactors. This is insanity. Okay. And you're going to rely on green energy which is intermittent energy and natural gas. Well, the natural gas comes from Russia, whether you like it or not. It's that simple, okay? And that's why power prices are making all-time highs. And it's not only just in the short term, now the year-out futures prices for energy for electricity are making all-time highs. So we're getting into something that's going to be with them for a long time. And I would suggest to you that this will have effects, knock-on effects with consumers, with inflation, because why? Energy is involved in everything, with the prospects for manufacturing and jobs. And I would suggest to you that, uh, you know, this could lead to tremendous political upheaval at some point. People are not going to stand for their standard of living to go down year after year. And people are going to start attaching blame and attaching cause and effect. And of course, the United States is involved in a lot of this, and the Europeans go along with it. You know, playing these games with Russia and China, what is the end game here? 
haven't haven't people learned their lesson yet uh you know you need the gas from russia whether you like it or not you didn't develop your own resources you didn't diversify your fuel mix and now you're stuck oh well and then in germany's case they're they're over there shutting down more nuclear reactors they have you know socialists and green party uh, is an ascendancy for whatever reason and this is what they plan on doing and that's not going to be good for their you know powerhouse of european manufacturing germany uh, higher prices are not going to be good it's not going to be conducive to being competitive and so this is the last slide this is another one you know sweden fires up oil fired power plant to alleviate poland's power shortage sweden power plant starts oil fired production to meet poland request for help so we're seeing more and more of this right the energy crisis is upon us <clears throat> the lack of investment coupled with poor policy decisions made you know years ago are now culminating in this worldwide energy crisis and i think this is a tremendous opportunity uh for speculators and investors and you know i just keep reporting the news this is like one off this is like the only time i've reported this this is like every week we keep seeing more and more news items that continue to bolster that continue to um codify the thesis that we've had for over a year and it's now coming to fruition i do not wish hardship on people i'm not full of glee my job is to make money my job is to help you make money my job is to take care of my family I, they're not calling me up and asking me what my policy prescriptions are because that's just not going to happen and so i have to deal play in the sandbox that they created and deal the and play the cards that are dealt and I tend to play them to my advantage. That's it. I, I'm agnostic to their policy decisions because I have no control of that. But I will tell you that for people that are informed and people that don't have a biased view on things, this is going to lead to opportunity, like I said before, that could potentially, if played correctly, if you do this correctly, and you could deal with the volatility, tremendous wealth creation. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Appreciate the support. The channel continues to grow. I thank you. Uh, I can't do it without your support. And uh, you've been giving it to me. So uh, thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you next week.